0: Welcome to Bizarre to Brutal, featuring true crimes and scandals that were reported in the hugely popular Victorian newspaper, The Illustrated Police News. What follows are the actual reports from that time. But first, a warning. The writers sometimes didn't hold back from giving the most intimate details of these events. But if you can stand it, you'll get a revealing insight into Victorian life and uncensored human nature. So let's walk back through the mists of time. 25th of July, 1868. Extraordinary case. An inquest was held at Guildford on Saturday evening before Dr Stedman, the borough coroner, on the body of Harriet Venn, a girl aged 12 years whose death was alleged to have occurred through the administration of catharides, or Spanish flies, by a boy named Sillick. From the evidence, it appeared that the deceased on Monday last was playing with several other girls and some boys, when Sillick was observed to give the unfortunate deceased two gooseberries, in each of which he had at first cut a hole with a knife and then placed in each of the cavities a Spanish fly. The girl returned home, complained of great pain and was seized with violent retching. She was put to bed, but the vomiting still continued and on Wednesday she became insensible and died at an early hour on Thursday morning. A medical man was called in just before her death. A lad named Fru, errand boy to Mr Taylor, surgeon of Guildford, was examined and he stated that he had taken the Spanish flies from a bottle in his master's surgery and given them to Silic. He had warned him, however, not to give the flies to any girls. A boy named Morton swore to seeing Silic put the flies into the Gusbury's and to the deceased eating them both. He also spoke to a conversation with Silic, which showed that he administered the flies with the intention to excite the deceased to immorality of conduct. One of the girls present at the time was also examined, and she stated that a gooseberry was offered to her, but she was afraid to eat it, because she saw Silic put a fly into a hole, which he made with a pocket knife the deceased ate two, although witness told her not to do so. After a long investigation, in which the most lamentable precocity was exhibited by many of the boy witnesses, the inquest was adjourned to Wednesday. Mr Superintendent Law was present to watch the case on behalf of the borough authorities. (laughs) 25th of July, 1868. Jealousy and revenge. A woman stabbed by her rival in a chapel. At the Waterford Assizes on Monday, Mary Russell pleaded guilty to the charge of having stabbed with intent to kill. The circumstances of this case were rather novel and romantic. It appears that the prisoner, who is a tall, strongly made young woman in the prime of life, was attached to a young man at Clonia in that county. The course of her true love was not an exception to the general rule, and after some time, the object of her affections abandoned her and transferred his attentions to another young woman in the neighbourhood. The prisoner, finding that she was so slighted, determined on deadly vengeance. And during the service in the chapel of Clonia, she plunged a knife into the neck of her rival, inflicting a dangerous gash. She has recovered from the effects of the wound. On being called to plead, the prisoner admitted that she was guilty of the charge, but declared at the same time that the woman wounded by her had not got half what she deserved. The prisoner was sentenced to 18 months hard labour. 15th of August, 1868 A woman imprisoned for gleaning At the Chester Police Court before the Mayor, Mr Johnson and Mr Smith, a poor woman named Sarah Jones appeared on a summons charging her with stealing a quantity of wheat, the property of Mr Roberts, farmer. Mr Churton, solicitor, appeared for the complainant who stated that on the 29th he saw the prisoner picking up wheat at the bottom of a field from which they were carrying the crop. He sent a boy to her, but she did not go away. He went down to her himself and took from her a handful of wheat. And she went away. Mr Johnson. Had the field been cleared? Roberts. Not quite. We were just finishing taking away the raking's. Mr Johnson, was there any wheat except on the ground where she was? Roberts, no, it had been raked there, but I've had such a great deal of damage. I want to make an example. Defendant, Mr Roberts, didn't I tell you I was very sorry? I thought there was no harm. Yes, you did, but I want to make an example of someone. The Mayor, to Defendant, what have you to say? defendant. Well, gentlemen, I didn't think I was doing any harm. I was going home and I thought I would pick up a few ears to please the children. I told Mr Roberts I was very sorry and gave him the corn when he said it wasn't allowed. I am very sorry. The mayor, after consulting with Mr Smith and the clerk. You must go to jail for seven days. Great sensation! Mr Johnson, the magistrate, throwing up his hands and saying, I won't be a party to that! Seven days! All the papers in the country will be down upon us! The defendant turned very pale and, bursting into tears, said, Seven days for that! Don't send me to jail for my four poor children and one sucking at the breast! The clerk, to Mr Johnson, There is no other way of putting this sort of thing down. There are many complaints. Mr Churton said, while Mr Roberts wished for some punishment, he did not ask for so much as that. After some further consultation between the magistrates, the mayor said, You must pay a fine of five shillings, sixpence damages and costs of three shillings. Or go to jail for three days. The woman was then removed and ultimately sent to jail, as the money was not forthcoming. 3rd of October, 1868. Extraordinary American marriage. On Sunday, a rural looking lady and gentleman of Stirling, Cayuga County, called on one of the justices of the peace and expressed a wish to be married. The pair were made man and wife. On Monday morning, they reappeared and each in turn desired that the proceedings might be annulled. The lady was particularly urgent. She charged that she had been entrapped into marrying the man who stood beside her by a piece of unparalleled deception. She had been corresponding with her cousin in Iowa, whom she had not seen since she was a child. And during the correspondence, her cousin had wooed and won her affections. He wrote her that he was coming on here in December to claim her hand and take her to his home in the West. On Monday last, the swain to whom she had got married made his appearance, claimed to be her cousin, said he could not wait until December. On the strength of these representations, she had reluctantly consented to wed. She had since learned that the man whom she had married was not her cousin, but a wretch who had secured a wife by base deceptions. The man acknowledged his culpability, but pleaded in extenuation that the Iowa cousin had read him the letters of his intended, that these had influenced him to do as he had done. His conscience smote him so grievously since the accomplishment of his treachery that he made a full confession to the lady he had shamefully wronged. He had hoped to reconcile her to the fraud, but she would not he was now willing to make the only amends he knew of, to have the marriage contract annulled. The magistrate suggested he had not the power to unmarry them. He advised that, as matters had progressed thus far, it would be better for the lady to make the best of a bad bargain and accept the situation. After a good deal of persuasion on the part of the bridegroom, The lady finally decided to accept the advice of the magistrate on the assurance that the said bridegroom would make it all right, with the genuine cousin away off in Iowa. Upon this happy settlement, the lady dried her eyes and the happy pair departed. 17th of October, 1868. Committal of the Wise Woman of Whitechapel. Louisa Kinghurst, alias Rebecca Spiller, 26, living at 7 Old Cable Street, Whitechapel, where she had been gaining a living as a fortune teller, has been charged before Mr Newton with having obtained several sums of money and diverse goods with intent to defraud. Two cases having already been proved against the prisoner, one other case was now gone into, wherein she obtained money and articles of wearing apparel from Alexander Schwartz, a tailor of Plaston Street, Mile End, Newtown, who deposed that about the commencement of the present year he was passing the prisoner's house when she called him in and asked him to have his fortune told. He consenting... She shuffled a pack of cards, counting and muttering, and then said that she had read great things for him and that a power was placed in her by which she could make him very rich and make all the girls love him. He paid her sixpence for telling his fortune and said that he should like to be rich and loved by the girls. She then said that if he would give her something to charm with, she would do it for him. And he believed it, and gave her a woollen shirt to the value of ten shillings, which she said she would return the next day. When he went the next day, she said it would not do, that she must have a linen shirt, which he gave her, although she did not return the woollen one. That shirt which was worth five shillings and sixpence, she promised she would return in two days. But when he went again, she said she could not charm unless she had some money. And at her request, he gave her 30 shillings, which she was to refund in two days after she had worked the charm. He went to her house in two days, but although he heard her speaking he was told she was not at home. In the consciousness that he had been done, he repeatedly called at her house. But she was never at home, nor did he see her till that day, having ceased to call for about three months past. In answer to the magistrate, witness said, amidst much laughter, that he believed the prisoner when she said she could make him rich and make all the girls love him. The prisoner said that was all a lie and the depositions being completed, she was sent for trial on three charges. You've been listening to Bizarre to Brutal. I'm Mark Capel. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support this podcast, climb into your handsome cab and head over to bizarretobrutal.com to find out more. See you next time.